This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Alongside Playoff Mode Wyshynski from ESPN. Hello, Playoff Mode Wyshynski. What's up? Greetings from uh, from Boston. Um, where I was told by my Uber driver that uh, ESPN is getting its mojo back because it's not as uh, blankety woke as it used to be. So... Very Boston conversation. Oh, is that right? On the way to the rink this morning. Oh, yeah, very okay. excited. Uh, did did he, I, 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 did, I told did, did he know I told that, him it was above did, my pay grade? Did he know who he was? <laughs> did 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 he know who he was talking to? <laughs> well, he it was funny because first of all, he was a delight. Uh, the rest of the time, he was uh, giving yeah. me uh, a, an audio tour of Boston as we drove to the rink. But uh, nice. he said something along the lines of. He's like, you're probably going to watch the Bruins tonight, even though you don't want to watch the Bruins. I'm like, well, I got to watch the Bruins because it's my job. But tell me more <laughs> about this. And and he said he gave me the spiel about how, like, he's not a hockey fan, but he's a football fan and a baseball fan. And um, and he said mm-hmm. that, like, the, there's peer pressure now, once again, in Boston to watch this team. Like, even if you're maybe more into the Celtics. Or or the Red Sox, yep. like you, you're you're you have buddies that are living and dying with this Boston team and, and and preaching the good word that this is a special one and this could be uh, this could be the year. Uh, so he says he's going to watch it because he's been pressured into it. Oh, he's been peer pressured into watching hockey. That's um that's interesting. What what I, I am curious too. What is the vibe? In Boston, like I haven't been to Boston since the the classic, but what's the vibe now about this team? Now that you know the uh, the remarkable season is done, everyone's you know lining up the awards, whether it's Montgomery, whether it's Bergeron, um, you know uh, David Pasternak's going to get some some runner up heart votes. I guess that's the only real race in the heart. Who's going to be the runner up? Um, how is the mood right now around this team and around this city? The the mood is sort of I don't want to say celebratory, and I don't want to say overconfident, and I don't want to say that it's like a coronation, but it's adjacent to all of that. <laughs> That's right. Like in game one here, I mean, clearly everybody was in a pretty jubilant mood because it was Patriots Day and they had been drinking all day, and it's the marathon and all yeah. that. But the vibe was was never like panic or danger or um, we're going to drop this to the Panthers. It was always very much um, a an exuberant serenity, if you can put those two words together, that this team was going to be okay. And and part of that is obviously them not having been challenged at all this season. And and not having a losing streak of of more than three games, and the only time they had a three game losing streak was once. So there really hasn't been mm-hmm. a reason yet to worry about this team or, or to think that they've met their match or any of it. Um, so that's the vibe. It's an interesting vibe. And the other interesting it, vibe too, Merrick, is like we always talk about playoff pressure and um, yeah. and what that does to teams. We saw it last night in, in Toronto. Obviously, the Bruins Ooh. face one of the most unique kinds of playoff pressure that I can imagine. It only comes around every so often, which is they are such a heavy favorite and they are so expected to go wire to wire that they felt nerves in game one because of it. They, I mean, like, like I was talking to Taylor Hall about this the other day, like the idea that you come into the postseason as an underdog and you're punching above your weight, like there's a certain amount of pressure that's taken Mm -hmm. off of you. 
when you come into the postseason and oh, yeah. you have set regular season records and wins and points and everyone is basically building their brackets and their prognostications around the concept of, well, if the Bruins aren't going to win, then when do they go out? Um, it's, an, it's a unique set of, of pressures that this team is facing. See, I would kind of feel that the vibe around Boston, and I'll get to the team here in a sec, that the vibe around Boston in this opening round, and it's going to sound completely disrespectful to the Florida Panthers, but here I go, would be, let's just get this over with quickly. Like, this is the the formality stage. Like, okay, well, we've got to face off against Florida, and then we're going to get into what we really consider the tough rounds here. Is there any of that in Boston? Because let's not forget, too, um, pride can bleed into arrogance pretty quickly, and when your team is as good as the Boston Bruins have been all season long, it bleeds there easily. Has, uh, Has pride bled into arrogance yet in Boston? No. And in fact, Jim Montgomery today said the exact opposite of what you just said, which is that the first round is typically the toughest round of the playoffs, Um, which I thought was a very interesting comment. And I think he's got some I think there's something to it in the sense that you do have these teams that are there and they know that they're steep underdogs and and they're punching above their weight and they're playing a little bit more uh, fancy free than maybe the teams that have expectations placed on them. And it's also a place where maybe, you know, teams are still trying to kind of find their footing a little bit and find their rhythms again when the game changes so dramatically when the postseason hits. And the Bruins are one of them. I mean, the Bruins in game one, their biggest issue is that they didn't play with pace. They didn't play with the kind of pace they like to play. Um, At times, they allowed the Panthers to carry play. And, you know, Montgomery said, look, that's that's something that can't happen. And, And part of it is what Florida was able to do. And part of it was the opening night jitters that you wouldn't expect a team like Boston to have, but yep. they clearly had. You know, Boston is a is a fascinating team, and sometimes players move to uh, to new teams, and it's an awkward fit. I'm talking about trade deadline acquisitions, but you know, I I, I think that Ekholm had the biggest effect on his team of all the players that were moved at deadline. But I don't know that there's anyone out there who looks as perfect for their team who moved at deadline than Tyler Bertuzzi. First of all, the pass to David Pasternak was a thing of beauty. Second of all, the play with the Nick Cousins stick was a thing of hilarity. And in between all of it, there's that. There's that player that we wondered about going back to in the American Hockey when he played at Grand Rapids, the American Hockey League playoffs. He was a, the MVP. And I think a lot of us wondered, okay, what's it going to be like when Tyler Bertuzzi and Dylan Larkin and the Detroit Red Wings finally make the playoffs because Bertuzzi is that take-it-to-the-next-level guy in the postseason? And obviously, we never saw that in Detroit. But we're seeing it now like this is one and again i know it's a one game odd i'm getting ahead of myself here but he looks perfect in that bruins uniform and he played a very much tyler bertuzzi game the skill is there we saw that with the pass and to be blunt the prick is there we saw it with the nick cousins situation (laughs) um when you are a player aspiring to be something in this league the endorsement of the model 
for what you're trying to be is important. And Brad Marchand today called <laughs> Tyler Bertuzzi yeah. a little a little greaseball. <laughs> so I mean, like the uh, the king, the king, the king has acknowledged you. <laughs> yeah, he's acknowledged you. I mean, he did say he was disappointed that Bertuzzi couldn't break the twig on the bench when he was doing the cousin stick thing. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah. clearly he sees a little bit of that. I mean, Marshawn said, look, he's, he's like one of the guys you really don't want to ever play against, but you have living on your team. Again, that's exactly what you want to hear if you're Bertuzzi. He fits the culture. He fits the team. His, his skill set is one where they do have enough finishers on this roster that they could use somebody with the setup skills that Bertuzzi has. Um, I think from a, from a, a, an aesthetics and, and fit standpoint, you might be right. It's probably Eckholm. And then Bertuzzi as far as trade deadline success. Yep, for sure. Um, what do you look for? Now, there's no Bergeron tonight. Um, and, you know, the Boston Bruins take that in stride and move along. Um, if the Florida Panthers are going to get back into this one, like we looked at this at the beginning of the series and said, okay, it's sure it's the Florida Panthers against the Boston Bruins, but the story we're really interested in is Matthew Kachuk versus the Boston Bruins and what would the reaction be would they leave him alone would they sink you know, sick like you know Hathaway uh or Frederick after um uh, after Kachuk every time he's out there to try to neutralize him uh Kachuk the lone goal scorer in game one if Florida is going to get into this thing against this team of you know award winners and future hall of famers how do they do it <laughs> Well, I don't know if they do it in Boston. That's I, I just had this conversation with somebody at the, the practice ring today, which is that in order to, to win this series, they need the Barkoff line to be palpable. And to for the Barkoff line to be palpable, they probably need to get Verhage, Barkoff, and Duclair as far away from Marchand and uh, uh, DeBrusque and now Pavel Zaka as they can. And I don't think that's going to happen yeah, in Boston. Luck. I mean, I think Jim Montgomery good has found a, a line happening. match that he likes. No. And I think he's the, the, the Zaka line is going to be all over Barkoff again tonight. But when we get back to Florida and, and Paul Maurice can get that line, maybe a little bit of breathing room away from those guys, then maybe you get their top line reengaged. Then Verhage's all of a sudden making a difference. Then Barkoff is uh, actually getting a shot on goal. Uh, so long story short, I wouldn't be... Uh, at all surprised if we go back to South Florida with a 2-0 Bruins lead. But I would be very surprised if the Florida Panthers don't win at least once when we get back there. Mm-hmm. The, um, you know, one of the interesting things about this year's Bruins outside of the remarkable season and the trophies which are on the horizon, and the individual trophies that are on the horizon here, is there's kind of a last dance vibe about this Boston Bruins squad. No one knows about Patrice Bergeron after the, we thought he was gone last season. Uh, nobody knows about Patrice Bergeron, David Krejci, etc. Amongst the players, is there that, you know, this is our last shot at keeping the band together vibe? Like, we know this might be our last best chance to take a swing at this, even though, you know, Pasternak's there forever, McAvoy, Lindholm, uh, etc. Um, is there a, a last dance vibe? Not amongst the fans, but amongst the players. See, that's what's really fascinating about this team. Because you're right. Like, we, we've seen last dance vibes with other teams, too. You know, we, we've got to win yep. or else we can't have this group again together and all that stuff. And 
I've never come across a team that is less concerned with the band being kept together than they're concerned about giving an individual player his last championship. And and that's Bergeron. Like I've not heard any any talk about like, oh my God, what what will be the perilous fate of the Boston Bruins if we don't win this this cup? <laughs> but I have heard from multiple players yeah. We we have our mission since the beginning of the season was to give a Stanley Cup ring to Patrice Bergeron, and that's how important he is on the ice. That's how vital he mm. is behind the scenes. His his endorsement of coming back to this team as a free agent this season, I think, did uh, wonders for their confidence as far as what they could build. His his relationship with Jim Montgomery and acting as a de facto Reg Dunlop for this team has been remarkable. It it's all centrally focused on trying to do right by Bergeron in a way that I can't recall it being like that for a team. Yeah. It's a, it's a fascinating bunch. Um, Sam Bennett in tonight for the uh, Florida Panthers. We should point out Paul Maurice talking about that. Uh, Before he came on, I talked to Mike Russo about uh, the Minnesota wild and the Dallas stars love game one. Uh, Tough to see what happened to Joe Pavelski and he's in concussion protocol, as Pete DeBoer, head coach of the Dallas Stars, announced today. But still, like, that is, like, you know how every year, Wish, there's a couple of series that kind of gets gives you the, the warm and fuzzies, the, or the, as I like to say, the soap and warm water feeling about hockey from a couple of decades ago, where there's a <laughs> premium not just on skill, but but on physicality and maybe running around and doing dumb stuff. Like as much as we talk about the Matt Dumba hit on, on Joe Pavelski and, you know, Pavelski's, you know, should there should be an, an assumption that you could get hit even though he's low. He's under the goal line by, by a few feet and forwards aren't used to getting hit there. Um, it's a reckless play. Like by 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 normal standards, like defensemen don't chase hits below the goal line like that. But there it was. Uh, what do you make of of that series now? Like a, a few things happened in concert. One, there was a big hit, and that's the the jump off point. There's you know Suter, you know, uh, uh, trying to administer as many cross checks to the lower spine of Karel Kaprizov as possible. Um, <laughs> there are officials that are kind of letting the whole thing happen. Uh, what do you look for in in game two of this series? So I. Th- as much as it hurts losing Pavelski and there's no replacing all of the things that he can give you, especially in the playoffs when that guy seems to be genetically designed to score the kinds of goals you need scored in the playoffs. The way that they carried play after the injury, moving Sagan up to the hints Robertson line, um, was really encouraging, I think, if you're Dallas. I mean, anyone who watched that game is probably still flabbergasted that they couldn't put it away because that's how well they played. And they had their opportunities in the power play yeah. overtimes and all that jive, too. So I, I think there were some really encouraging signs that they can build on. It's not as if they lost uh, Pavelski and then everything fell apart. Um, so, look, I, they, n- neither of these teams had any... Uh, any illusions about the fact it wasn't going to go seven, <laughs> right? So I mean, like, I think I think what happened in game one uh, is is uh, shocking in some ways because of the injury and because of the hit and because of the you know double overtime of it all. But I do think that you know yeah. Dallas has a lot to rely on and a lot to be optimistic about in game two. 
Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the uh, one of the reasons why I love watching the Minnesota Wild. You know how someone? How am I going to phrase this? Wish <clears throat> this is very MVSW moment coming up here. Um, <laughs> you know how something sometimes there's something that a player does that is so ugly it becomes beautiful and you can't stop watching it. For me, well, I, I was Greg a fan. Wyszynski, I was a that, fan of the of the. I was a fan of the mid nineties Devils. So I know a lot of the watching something so <laughs> ugly that it becomes beautiful. So ugly, it's beautiful. Well, you know what it is for me, and I can't stop watching it, and I love it, and I always have. And one of the reasons why I encourage people to watch the Minnesota Wild is as much as you can. To me, there is nothing as ugly and beautiful as watching Matt Zuccarello get around the ice. Still to this day, I am amazed. I am amazed watching him skate, and he's like super skilled and productive. Like this is not intended as a knock on Matt, Matt Zuccarello. Uh, I don't come to bury; I come to celebrate and honor. I, he's one of my favorite players to watch because he looks like he shouldn't be successful in the league. Whether it's the size, whether it's the way he skates, whether it's how quickly he skates, or maybe not quickly he skates. I love Matt Zuccarello. More of him. Thank you very much. Is there someone on this Minnesota Wild? Like, trust me, like I, I got all day for Kaprizov. We all do. I got all day for Matt Boldy and Jared Spurgeon, like supreme, silky, smooth players. But I love watching Zuccarello kind of waddle around the ice like nobody else on that Wild team. Is there someone on Minnesota that you can't take your eyes off of? No, but I think you've hit on something in totality, which is that Minnesota might be the most uh, ugly, beautiful team in the league. Like you think about the whirling dervish that is Ryan Hartman and what an ex- what a roller coaster oh, yeah. <laughs> that can be, shift to shift. You think about the way yep. that Reeves plays when Flurry's in goal. I don't think that we. I mean, he's inherited the mantle of Jonathan Quick of of looking completely out of sorts at times, and then also making <laughs> a, a great save now and again. Um, even their aesthetics are ugly beautiful. Uh, the color scheme of the team, an incomprehensible logo. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much about this team that I think fits exactly like the Matt Zuccarello skating, which is that sometimes it's so ugly that it is beautiful with the Minnesota Wild. Can I pause on the logo for a sec? <laughs> go ahead here's why <laughs> okay so here's the thing about the logo for me I like the logo up close because when you're up close you can actually see like oh okay I kind of see what this, what they're going after here and this is this theme and I know what that is and I know what this is and oh yeah that is a tree after all the problem mm-hmm. is when they green lighted the logo I don't think anyone thought well what will this look like in the back row of the rink because right. you're right. The logo just like from the back row looks like a smudge. It it really does. It's like, big, what is that? But then when you get closer, well, it's actually yeah. quite beautiful. It really is quite beautiful. It, it, it's a really nice logo. It has, But you can't see it when nuance. you're sitting back. Yeah, it has a lot of nuance. It's clever. The shape of the, the head of the beast or whatever it is uh, yeah. in, in silhouette. Um, the problem I've always had with the logo is very simple, which is that the head of the beast, you know, it's got the, the, the star is the eye and it's the shape of the head and it looks like it's growling. The mouth of the beast is, is, is apparently like a, a, a river or a lake, you know, to, to represent the water that you find in, in many places in the land of a, the 10,000 lakes. Mm. The problem is on the logo, it makes it look like he's constantly drooling. 
and not in like a a a rabid <laughs> a rabid angry animal way, but just in kind of like an an incapacitated one flew over the cuckoo's nest way. And so I've never really been a fan of that part of the logo. Yeah, I I get that. Um, I I I really understand that. Um, I, listen, I just think they should go back to the old Minnesota North Stars colors permanently. Stay there, and come up with something that you can see from the back row. Please, please. I liked. I really liked the the logo that they had on their thirds when everybody was doing that like circle logo with the words inside of it, and they stuck the other logo inside of that. That was cool. The script logo they had was cool. Look, I. Yeah. I when it comes to problematic logos in this league, Merrick, the Wild are are maybe in my bottom, my my top third. Um, they don't come close to the swirly toilet toilet bowl of the of the Carolina Hurricanes or the 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 children's let's learn the letter A logo of the Colorado Avalanche. Like the Wild are okay compared to those. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think Colorado uh, Carolina is trying slowly and maybe quietly to phase those out. I don't think it's going to be a big. I, I, I don't you kind of get that impression. You're seeing it less and less and less that they're moving to slowly phase this thing out. Anyway, um, all right. I want to get to Toronto, Tampa. I want to get your thoughts on this. I want you to focus on the Maple Leafs before we get to the Tampa. Oh, for it. So for a off the okay. top of off the top of the show. I was uh, I, I grabbed a couple of Mark Twain quotes that sort of fit the bill for both teams. You know, uh, reports of my death are greatly exaggerated. That's the Tampa Bay Lightning side of things. And the, one of the one of one of my favorite Mark Twain quotes, uh, Samuel Clemens, um, really applies to the Maple Leafs and how they're perceived around the NHL. And it goes like this: I never wished a man dead, but I've read some obituaries with great pleasure. Is that how people outside of the bubble of Toronto are looking at the Maple Leafs? Never wanted to wish a man dead, but have read some obituaries with great pleasure. Um, yes. I will also give you yet another Mark Twain quote that I think applies to this series, which is, whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it is time to pause and reflect. Um, there were so many of us. That were so convinced <laughs> that this Leafs team yeah. was different and so convinced that this Lightning team had finally been put in the ground. And um, it just hasn't worked that way through one game. Um, again, one game doesn't tell you anything. You could ask the Leafs from last season that that very question. But the thing that worried me about picking the Leafs in this series was twofold. One, they're demons. We all know them. And they were flying around the old arena last night, leaving fiery streaks in the oh, sky. Yeah. And the fact that the Tampa Bay Lightning remain a team with five pillars uh, of a championship foundation still very much in place. One of those pillars, obviously, is a little shaky, depending on what Headbin's uh, uh, injury situation is. But yeah. when you watch that game last night, and you saw Braden Point doing Braden Point things and Kucherov doing Kucherov things and Vasilevsky making saves when he needs to, you are reminded of, oh, God, that's right. Like, they've got enough of these guys still in the lineup. Yeah, they don't have the Gord line anymore, and they don't have McDonough, which is going to probably really impact them, you know, going forward. And they don't have Andre Palat scoring, like, 60% of the important goals in their playoff runs. But they still have those guys. And in seven games, maybe you just need those guys. And they Mm -hmm. really, really were the difference makers last night. 
They were. That was a that was one of those games where every stereotype that Leaf haters had about the Maple Leafs all came true. Like that was a protein shake for everybody who hated the Maple Leafs. That's what they all got. That's what yeah, they, all got. they got Here's the, your protein the, the shake. wilting and folding, and the, and the inability of of star players to match the star play of other stars on the other team. We, we had panic. Yeah. We had sad faces. We had conspiracy theories about referees. We had all of it in oh one god. game. Oh my god! That's, that's and now we get another one. game. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the conspiracy that, that that one for anyone and and you were there too to to, to follow all of it. That one is just that one is the there is the thinnest line joining joining facts uh in that one that that flew around yesterday between between West Macaulay and Sheldon Keefe in the old David Frost situation where oh I don't know Mike Danton may have just paid a hitman by the name of Justin Levi Jones to uh murder his agent uh and that house mm-hmm. somehow conflated into a conspiracy theory why you know West Macaulay had it in for for uh Sheldon Keefe yesterday that was an embarrassing and, and also one, uh, to watch also go the Leafs the, the Leafs record in West Macaulay games I think in the po- I think in the postseason specifically was another another thing yeah. that that came up around that but yeah I mean that was that was quoted to me several dozen times in the last 24 hours and and again like like you said it it it, it just it's another layer of the parfait for people to consume when it comes to the <laughs> schadenfreude of this organization and mm. why, you know, people people love to read the obituaries when it comes to the Leafs. Hell, I used to publish them at Puck Daddy, and let me tell you, they were quite popular. Those were fun. How, okay, how often did you <laughs> get angry teams fun. calling you or players for, or executives or coaches? For, or for just, those, Was it just the fans? Because yeah. those, ob, those obits were awesome. Oh, they were so they good. Were, they, I, had, I think I may have written one or two ever, of them. They made everybody angry. I definitely heard it from executives when I was was there. But the the beautiful thing about it, and the thing I always tried to do when we wrote terrible things about people, was plausible deniability by having fans write them, right? So like, and and it became kind of yeah. an, an, an informal competition between the folks that would come back as our roast masters every year to see who could push the envelope farther. And occasionally we had to pull it back in the editorial process because it would go too far. But they were endlessly creative, and <laughs> and again, like, how, and, hang on, I, we don't. How how, how how many times did you have to say Ryan Lambert? You can't write that. Lambert only wrote a couple of them. It was mostly like a lot of the bloggers that did it, and I do remember. I mean, there was one that was written about I want to say Detroit, that just was the most savage, like. I mean, like, <laughs> I don't know if you could you could have published it on the 4chan boards. It was so uh, out of Whoa. out of the mainstream and nasty. Uh, it was really, it was really good. Some of the writing on those things was out, outstanding. I miss it. Can't get away with that now. Uh, really, and you know, <laughs> but you know what? Well, you can, but nobody really wants. To, doesn't really have people don't have that much of a time for. It. I mean, they, it does exist places, but you know what it does underscore though. One of the greatest things about loving sports is hating sports. And we've talked about this before. This is the one thing that has always been the most difficult thing for teams and uh, and organizations and leagues to A, agree with, and B, somehow capture or allow. One of the great things about being a hockey fan is hating various things about hockey, and that's okay. 
And that's totally fine. And hating other teams and celebrating that hatred of other teams and roasting other teams. This is sports. This is if you get offended by your team getting insulted by a random person on the Internet, maybe the problem is you, not so much that person. This is very a very interesting dynamic you've brought up because the NFL understands that the Dallas Cowboys are the most divisive team in professional sports. And that's why they're on television all the time, because there's as many people that want to watch them lose as people that want to root for them every Sunday. The NHL loves to push rivalries. They love it. Like, it's the one thing they know how to sell. They rejiggered the entire playoff bracket to ensure that there'd be more rivalry games based on the the rigidity rigidity of the format. But I don't quite think they have and have never had the stomach for the true nastiness that exists in hockey fandom and sometimes even between the players when it comes to rooting for a team's demise or rooting for a team to be humiliated. Like the NHL has a very strict editorial process on its own website to ensure that inflammatory things written about teams don't exist. It's benign. It's vanilla by design because they don't want to upset anybody. And I think that's a Mm -hmm. really interesting thing you've hit on, which is that hockey should be filled with that kind of rivalry and that kind of hatred and that kind of rooting against teams. I think maybe, you know, that's why the playoffs kind of, the, the viewership falls off after a while is because, you know, if, if you're trying to be nice to everybody, you don't give people enough reason to hate watch. Right. So like, um, it's a great point. The Leafs would be the exception to the rule if they advance clearly. But I think a lot of other teams, it's, it's kind of like, they haven't really figured out a way to accentuate rivalry while also keeping the flames of hatred alive to keep people engaged, to want to see these teams, teams lose. Is the answer Toronto then the team that you would say most people hate watch? I think I think it is for sure, um, and I think that it would continue to be if they ever went on a run. But if they ever made the Stanley Cup final, you'd have a really fascinating thing um, that only other two other teams I think really experienced, which are the Boston Red Sox and the Chicago Cubs. There's a lot of people that hated the Red Sox, but there were also a lot of people that were like, um, I wonder if they can pull this off. And there were a lot of people that hated the Cubs, but there were also a lot of people that were like, I would just like this to end. So this franchise is no longer defined by its futility. I don't know. I I think that I think I think that hockey fans that hate Toronto love the fact, love the fact that this curse goes back to 67. I don't think they want it to end. You th- honestly think that fans that hate hockey fans that hate the Maple Leafs just want to see this? Like they feel sorry for the Toronto Maple Leafs somehow? I don't get that sense a bit. Do you? This is me personally. I, <laughs> I am, I am, ex- I'm exhausted by it. I'm exhausted by it, much like I was exhausted by the Capitals' inability to get past the second round. Um, the Panthers' inability mm-hmm. to make the playoffs, like, like, I, I, there's a, just comes a point where you've all you've seen all the 1967 jersey fouls, 
and we've made all the plan the parade jokes and we've seen all of the different incarnations of Toronto Maple Leafs front offices and and lineups and them desperately trying to chase this thing that I, I just I don't know like if they had a chance to win the cup I'd just be like go in the cup so we can just have a different conversation I don't know wish I, I kind of I kind of feel like you're in the minority there bud among I, people oh, that really I'm have very much the minority for, for, for Toronto. The, the entirety of your the entirety of your country outside of Ontario wants this to be Charlie Brown and the football until the sun explodes. And like they, yeah. they never want to see a, a blue jersey with a leaf on it lifting anything outside of a, 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 of, yeah. of a golf club. I mean, that's obvious. But for me, I just have exhausted mm-hmm. by it. I just, I just feel like we've told the same story so often and, and, and we've seen the same um, miserable demise of this team so often that I'd like to see them win the cup eventually. That being said, last night, did the hairs of my neck step up, thinking, uh, raise up, thinking about the Lightning taking out the Leafs in this series because everyone and their mother picked Toronto to beat the Lightning? Yes, it was very exciting yep. to see that last night and to think that these guys might pull it off again. Um, to your earlier point, uh, I'll throw in, I can't believe I'm going to you know, reference uh, Soren Kierkegaard here on the program, but here we go. The oh. masses is untruth. The masses is untruth. When everyone's saying one thing, uh, what was the old, old uh, line by Michael Franci? Uh, when everyone's clapping, no one's thinking. Uh, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Everybody has been picking the Maple Leafs uh, in this one. Uh, what about Devils? Devils-Rangers last night. Uh, we were all excited. Uh, the young plucky Devils make their way to the playoffs for the first time in this uh, version of NJD. And they're at home at the Rock. And they're facing off against the New York Rangers and Gerard Gallant's team. And boom, Chris Kreider steals the show. Your thoughts on game one between the Devils and the Rangers? I had three keys to the series of the Devils, and the first key was that they could not be a team that looked very nervous to have the spotlight be this intense, a team that did not look prepared for the moment. And boy, they failed that key pretty quick, didn't they? Uh, (laughs) They all talked about jitters last night. They all talked about nerves last night. You could see it in the way they played. They were not up to the task. They played magnificently during the regular season fifth best offensive team in the league top five i think defensively too they were incredible and for one game none of those magic tricks worked and i don't know if it's a case of trying to figure out how to get to your game better or or trying to figure out how you have to modulate it for what the the rangers are throwing at them but the the two really interesting things for me in that game from a rangers perspective was this was a team that was 18th in the regular season on average for block shots per 60, and they had hmm. multitudes of them in that game. They, they certainly were trying to block more shots in that game than they do in the regular season. Some of it, I think, is the Devils' inability to put pucks on net, but it was also the Rangers blocking more shots. The other thing, too, um, do you realize that in four games against the Rangers... Jack Hughes had two giveaways in four games this regular season against the Rangers. He had two giveaways. He had five last night. Hmm. And that tells you, tells you one, the Rangers pummeling this kid like they did last night physically made a difference. And two, well, he scored on a penalty shot. 
the 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 thing though that really worried me about it (laughs) was that he looked like he looked like the jack hughes that played before this season which was a guy sometimes physically overmatched trying to do too much on his own and there was a lot of that last night and it resulted in him turning the puck over and it resulted in that line being fairly ineffective outside of the penalty shot and so so there were some troubling signs, I think, for the Devils. But ultimately, the biggest troubling sign is that they just weren't ready for prime time. And that could be fixed. Like Lindy Ruff said last night, the good news is that everyone now has a playoff game under their belt. Yeah. Like, uh, honestly, I, I, I don't get too upset about that if I'm the New Jersey Devils. I mean, clearly the players are going to be like, no, we're, we're playing to win, coaching to win, all of it. The fans are upset and you pay money to go watch the game. Um, but I kind of look at all of this as this is just another step up the winning ladder for the New Jersey Devils. Okay, so here's the next hurdle. Jumped over it. We got to the playoffs. Anything now, I don't want to sound patronizing, but it kind of feels like everything now is a bonus for New Jersey. Like, we should, we thought they should have got there last year. And if it weren't for the goaltending, they would have got there last year. But they didn't. This year, they got some saves. And a really nice you know, 13-game thir- winning streak uh, to help kick off the season after everybody quieted down on the fire Lindy chance. Um, I kind of look at all this and say this is now just gathering experience for Hughes and for Heischer and for Mercer uh, and for Brat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's kind of how we look at the New Jersey Devils here. Like the Rangers, it's got to be wins. The Devils, I still think it's collecting up experience. Now they know what 82 games feels like. You've had the full season experience. You didn't bow out in December or January. Now you've played the full year, and now you know what a playoff round is going to feel like. I'm fine with all of it if I'm the Devils. I'm not buying it. Like, first of all, it's the best regular season <laughs> in franchise history. No, it's the best regular. This is the best team they've ever had from a regular season standpoint. Okay, they're playing the Rangers, mm-hmm. so it's it's not it's it's not as if they're they're losing to Tampa or something. They're playing the Rangers in this series. And the third thing is this, man. Like, we've seen this team do magical things in the regular season with the win. It is fun. It is awesome. They fly. How many teams have we seen? if that doesn't translate to the postseason, have a crisis of conscience. We saw it with Florida last year. I mean, Huberto's a flame because they didn't think they could win in the playoffs with him. They might have been right, but that's why. Uh, we I saw it with the Capitals. Hold on. Kill, saw, how, how many times did we see it with the Capitals? The with, well, uh, but you, what did they say afterwards? They said the, the way Kachuk plays is, is night and day with the way that Huberto plays. And that's the kind of player that you need to yep. win in the playoffs. That was their... Their, their justification for the trade. The Capitals were an offensive juggernaut in the regular season. They go to the playoffs, their stuff didn't work, and then all of a sudden, Dale Hunter's the coach. Like, we've seen it before where the magic that, that happens mm. in the regular season doesn't necessarily transfer over to the postseason. And you start wondering exactly what we have to do to modulate or tweak. And I, I hope that doesn't happen in New Jersey, but if they go out meekly against the Rangers in a first-round series where they don't look like themselves at all, you, you wonder what does happen. But to your point, though, Merrick, and I, I do know. agree with you, other teams, other teams have windows to win. The Devils have a barn door to win. Like they, Simone Nemesh isn't even on the roster yet. You know, like they they clearly yeah. are set up it's, to be you know a what? contender it, for the next decade. I look at um, I look at a couple of teams. I think I see the New Jersey Devils like that, and I see the Dallas Stars like that. 
Um, Dallas Stars have multiple windows here. Multiple, multiple windows. Uh, This year is one of those windows. And I think this is why Jim Nill didn't didn't go crazy at trade deadline time. Like, I think Jim Nill was in on players like Bertuzzi. Um, I, I, I did wonder if, if they were in on, uh, on, on Timo Meyer as well, but he, I think he held on and, and, you know, kept some powder dry here because he knows there are multiple windows. There's, you know, Stankoven coming and Bork coming and they've already got, you know, Jason Robertson locked up at already an incredibly good number, uh, for a number of years and Rupe Hans and Miro Haskinen and Thomas Harley and Jake Ottinger. And I'm running out of breath here, so I'm going to stop. I see Dallas with multiple windows, and I see the same thing for the Devils. Same thing. Well, they they definitely have a window into next season. I mean, that's why they re-signed Pavelski. They clearly think that they've got a multi-year shot at this. I mean, Ben, next yep. year, I guess, will be like 34, 35, pushing 35. I mean, Sagan will be a little bit, bit older, too. But you're right. I mean, ultimately, this is a team that has a really strong core that's in its prime. And in some cases, Robertson... Haskinen pre 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 prime pre prime <laughs> for both of them. I almost said pre crime, but that's minority <laughs> report. Right uh, on that, we'll hustle uh, up against the clock, Mister Wishes. Enjoy Boston today. Enjoy Game Two. Uh, enjoy whatever antics we'll see out of uh, the new Brad Marchand. Um, that, of course, being Tyler Bertuzzi, and we will check back in seven days, my friend. All right. Everybody enjoy a wild first round in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Mm. And enjoy watching Matt Zuccarello skate. And watching <laughs> Matt Zuccarello get around the ice. It's really one of the delights. It's a little pleasure. So you get a little bit older, you find the tiny little things that bring you joy. All right. Tiny, uh, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN joins me, uh, every, yes, uh, joins me every week here on the, uh, on the program. Hitting a break. Uh, what we missed coming up next with Matt Marchese. Merrick show across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Back in a moment. <laughs> 